Hey guys, good morning. Well, it's morning as I'm recording this. This is actually the first episode I've recorded in the morning as I'm drinking my first coffee of the day. So if my voice sounds a little raspy, that's why I'm only a couple sips in. But man, <laughs> the energy is really heavy, isn't it? Seasonally, there's a lot of changes, at least where I'm at in the world. We just had daylight savings this past weekend, and that always throws things for a loop. And if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But astrologically, there's a lot of shit happening right now, too. And there is or was. I'm not sure how long it's happening for. But there's a solar flare or storm happening. And whether or not you follow astrology or even believe in it, I can guarantee you feel the effects of it. So I'm having a hard time mentally being able to focus and really grasp what it is that I want to accomplish because there's so much happening within our own circles and also at the same time the world around us. So this is a sign for me at least that I need to take a break, I need to recoup, and I need to focus on self-care and shut out some outside noise. And it's perfect timing for that because... Yes, I've said this about five times this year yet, but the forecast is looking promising and it's getting warmer here in Minnesota. The snow is slowly melting. We're getting snow sometimes here and there, but it's melting. So I'm going to spend the entire day outside today and that is exactly why I'm recording this intro for this episode this morning. Now, I've gotten a few comments on my lack of posting on Instagram as of late, and I've been interacting via stories versus, like, reels and posts, and quite honestly, I'm just fed up with Insta. Like, (laughs) it's not even an algorithm thing anymore, It's it's a censorship thing, and as I've mentioned before, that's a huge reason that I started this podcast, was to be able to speak freely and allow others to do the same. But unfortunately, with Instagram, I'm to the point where even the people that I interact with on a daily basis are not seeing my posts. So it's just very frustrating. And I right now do not have the time or energy to spend hours trying to get my interaction back up when I'm just being shadow banned here and there anyway. So um, regardless, I have built a lot of great relationships on Instagram within the homesteading community and that is the only reason that I still use it is to stay in touch with you guys. So, but regardless, today we have a very special episode and we are joined by Vanessa. She is a wonderful soul that puts such meaning and worth into how she operates her homestead and treats her animals. We talk about raising roosters today and the movement that is rethinking the rooster as well as touch base on the importance of flock first aid. So enjoy this week's episode with Vanessa of Maybloom's Acreage. Do you know where your food comes from? No. Like, really. When you look at your plate, can you say, I grew this or I raised that? By becoming our own resource, we can connect to our roots and reconnect to source. So here in this podcast, we talk about all things self-sustainability, self-accountability, and spirituality, and how they all tie in together. This is Dandelions Aren't Weeds. 
Well, I am just like really honored uh, that you agreed to come on today. And I really do love everything that you stand for. Everything you say and how you word things are just super poetic. And I think that's what drew me to you in the first place. So um, why don't you just kind of start off and uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, just your journey with homesteading and raising chickens as a whole? That is so such a simplistic answer that I could give, but yet such a complex mm-hmm. answer as well. And so, I mean, it's only been a mere five years that I've been, my heart has just been beating this lifestyle. And so when I think of how I got there, I go back to like childhood because it's it's part of something I always envisioned and dreamed about and or dreamt about I should say and it was it was always something I aspired for but when it those dots started connecting was just when I really sought out a lot of healing within like my personal life and I I reverted back to what kind of just what my childhood dreams were and 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 just wanting to realize raising animals and living off my land and kind of just this, I hate to summarize it this way, but this fairy tale of, of innocence a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did need a lot of healing in my life five years ago. And so I thought, what, what better time? What better time to get in touch with all the simplicity of what makes, you know, pretty much a child's eyes light up why did I lose that? And so it just started with one thing after another and chickens seemed easy. And and again, I kind of cringe when I say that because they're anything <laughs> but, but um, they seemed easy and like small and manageable. And I was like, my kids can get involved. Like, it'll be, it'll be fun. We'll have farm fresh eggs. And cause for pretty much over a decade now, I've been supporting farm fresh eggs. And so I was like, that's the first thing that I'll do to like really connect with growing my own food and like, you know, using this land that I've been given. And it started with 23. They were some barnyard mixes, no intention, just the farm fresh eggs. And then I, I started an Instagram account. I found out that birds lay you know as my birds started to lay they lay like different colors and my mind was just totally hooked and blown all at the same time um and I'm like I need to know more about that um and I'm someone that gets pretty like deep into things I like to like research and investigate and just like fully immerse myself in in learning something Mm -hmm. and that's how it snowballed because then it was like chocolate eggs and olive eggs and different breeds and different personalities and I I think I just fell into my calling to be totally honest I always wanted to be a veterinarian but I never liked that that would mean I'd have to conform to a certain ideology and a certain way of caring for animals, especially when you work within like a group clinic situation. And that just never, never really worked for me. So I think I just, yeah, reliving childhood um, simplicity and, and really seeking that out. And then also aligning with maybe what I wanted to be in a profession, but then realizing that I can just do it on a scale that's small and, um, and I'm an educator too. I, I love to teach. 
And I love to learn that way because I feel like you learn so much richer when you're teaching something as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a beautiful, very natural evolution, but yet very intentionally you know, sought out for, for, for purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but chickens, they are fascinating little dinosaurs, truly. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. <laughs> they really are. And like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a chicken lady. I, I fully fell into the amazingness that they are. Um, the eggs are at this point, just a bonus for me, truly. Um, and then it turned into advocacy work because I realized that, you know, this is one of the most kind of neglected and misunderstood livestock animals. And yet they're the most vastly kept, you know, there's billions of chickens kept worldwide. And, you know, I'd say the, the vast majority of them are not cared for in a very compassionate way. And so it just, like I said, I think it's, it's the teacher and the learner in me, the forever student. I just, I kept digging and going further and further and further. Yeah. And, that's, and I don't that's, to so, stop. that's so true too about, you know, the more you teach something, the more you come become immersed in it and you learn so much quicker that way. And I feel like um, this whole like boom of homesteaders during, you know, the pandemic has really allowed people to learn at a faster rate. And yeah. if, if anything has, you know, come from that, at least, you know, people are, are just more intentional in, in how they do things, especially when it comes to raising their food. Absolutely. I feel like truly it just gave everyone a little bit of extra time, time mm -hmm. to think about, you know, where, what my personal ethics may be, you know, even just when you get an extra hour or two a day, like some people that carpool, you know, and now to be working in their home environments, having those extra two hours, if you have time to think about something or you have extra time to source something even, I think a lot of people just really, and they were maybe forced to shop in some different locations as well for um, like availability reasons. And so I, I do, I think there was actually a lot of good that came out of the last, um, I guess, few years now, but a lot of a lot of people also turned to sharing what they were learning as they were learning. So it was really fun to kind of watch people fail. Like for me with sourdough, I never jumped on the trend and I, Same. I, I I'm still terrified of that little growing. Yeah. yeah. There's something really daunting about it and I'm not sure what it is, but I can't get myself to do it. I'm just no. terrified. I'm so intimidated and yet awestruck by the people that just make it look so effortless. So I really enjoy being a very humble forever student. It's, yes. it's really been, and I think a lot of people have made the time, as you said, to allow that in themselves again, you know, to learn something new, which has been really neat to watch. Absolutely. Yes. Can, I could not have said it better myself. So um, today I do want to dive in to a topic that seems to be demonized and that's raising roosters. And Ooh. you are a huge advocate for <laughs> raising roosters and you've kind of created somewhat of a movement um, on rebuilding a name for them because there is this huge misconception when it comes to raising roosters. And honestly, it's really convinced me to raise more roosters because when I first started out with chickens, I was not interested at all. And I was just mm -hmm. terrified. I had never really been around chickens in general, let alone roosters. Yeah. So can you kind of like dive into your stance behind, you know, the whole rethinking rooster movement and 
some of the most common misconceptions that people might have about them? Totally. Um, From the beginning, when I said I sourced those 23, I did have an ethics standpoint because I, I did a little bit of homework before I bought these brought these birds home. And I read a few books and I right away, what stood out to me is the 50-50 ratio. When you're hatching eggs, whether you're a small farm like myself or you're a commercial hatchery, 50% of those birds are going to be boys and 50% are going to be girls. So what was happening to all those extra boys? And when I found out the answer to that, I just, it just didn't sit well with me. So mm-hmm. right away, I, I didn't support a commercial hatchery. I don't want to villainize the word hatchery, but a commercial hatchery is kind of what I'm referencing. So right away, I'm like, okay, I need to buy from a small local farm that's not sexing their chicks. Like, it, it's a pretty hard thing to do unless you're really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't many people that are. So um, I, I right away, 23 of them, if not more, were roosters. And so right away, I was just like, wow, I'm going to get to see, you know, both sides of this, this animal, I'm going to get to see both counterparts. And so I was faced with a bit of a, a bit of a jerk. He was a straight up like the quintessential what you're terrorized by in the barnyard chicken rooster. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, well, what am I, what am I going to do about this? Because they're all the same age. Some of them are showing like a lot of kindness and composure and balance. Whereas other ones like this, the specific one, his name was Boris. He was a straight up asshole. He was just really, really <laughs> rude. Yeah. Um, and he did all the things that people recognize about roosters, the flogging, which means like flying up and with their spurs out and they'll try to like dance around you, but, but not cute. Like it's really aggressive. They'll spur you, which means they come up with these like bone parts that grow off the side of their leg and they're, they're, they hurt, right? Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll puncture your leg um, and, and peck at your hands. And so I just um, was kind of faced with this right at the beginning um, because I chose to have Um, not support a hatchery. And I I just chose to hatch both. And so I had to make a decision. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be terrorized when I'm in my own space. And I noted that, you know, that aggressiveness was also exhibited to the hens. He Just because he was mean to me didn't mean he was nice to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just kind of a, a menace throughout the yard. And so I made a very difficult decision. And I, it was my first bird that I I called, which means I literally, I ended his life that day. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and it was after he had attacked my daughter. And so hard line, right? You don't attack my children. And I, afterwards, um, I felt very emotional. It was the first time that I had taken the life of an animal. And I, but I noted how peaceful the yard was. And then I noted how some of the other roosters as the weeks or months went on, they never developed this negative behavior. So right away as I was exposed to nuance that they're not all the same, you know, there can be a lot of really good roosters. And I started forming these relationships and connections with these birds because they are very different than hens. They have a different job to do. They're very alert. You have to learn how to behave around them and walk around them like a hen you don't really have to think about those things because they have a different mindset whereas a rooster everything is a threat to them everything is um something to be investigated and that's what you're asking them to do that's genetically how they're they're kind of predisposed to think they're the guardians of the yard and so 
I just stood back as I often do kind of referencing back that forever student. And I just watched these roosters care for my flock and it was very natural and balanced. And I, I really saw their value. Every time something would fly overhead, they'd make a noise. The girls would run. It was a very like uniform experience. It wasn't just hens in a yard laying eggs. It was like this family unit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even more so because I was getting fertile eggs with the presence of those roosters. So all of a sudden hens started going broody and you saw this full interaction of the natural kind of world um, of chicken keeping. And again, it was just another layer of getting hooked in this, this nuanced way of understanding what keeping chickens meant. Because commercially, it's the same thing. They only keep what gives them value, whether it's growing out only roosters for meat purposes, because they're bigger than hens, so therefore bigger bang for your buck, or you're raising out just hens because you only want eggs. And that's just, that's not the way I choose to raise things. I don't want it just for my benefit and value and money and what you can offer me. I wanted to really understand what keeping this animal, not this gender, but this animal meant. And I started to, I mean, every time you hatch out birds, we hatch out a few hundred every season. If you've if been at it for five years, you can do the math. Yeah. Um, that's a <laughs> lot of roosters mm -hmm. and not all of them are good, but I'd say in those hundreds, it's been, you know, an easy, easy 95% because I can only think of really like two, three maybe that have been rotten apples. Mm -hmm. um, and that just, you can't help but have your mind changed when you, when you see that there's so much value that's just totally overlooked um, because of, say, maybe one bad experience or or even just the lack of understanding what value they can bring and thinking, oh, I don't need that. Um, so the misconceptions, though, to get to the other part of that thing is that you're going to have fertile eggs and you're going to have chicks growing in your eggs right away unless you, <laughs> you collect them like within an hour. <laughs> yeah. um, so that one's really funny to me because I just use the example of Mother Nature herself. I mean, you look at a bird's nest, a non-genetically, you know, bred and modified bird, that beautiful robin probably lays a handful of eggs every season. And they're not all laid on the same day. She'll take weeks to lay those eggs. Um, and then, but they all hatch on the same day. And so when you remind someone that nature has this ability to pause reproduction until it's suitable and they're ready, you, you kind of blow people's minds, right? Like eggs can mm -hmm. sit on my counter for, for I, I've actually tested it. It was pretty fun. Um, I did 14 days and I was still able to hatch viable, vigorous life out of these eggs that yep. sat on my counter. Um, so yeah, I just, that would be a, one of the biggest misconceptions. Number two would be that they're all mean and they're all going to chase you and they're going to be cruel and you're going to be terrorized. Um, and it's just simply not true. So that's where I think Rethink the Rooster, the hashtag that I started with Bella of the olive egg, um, is it, it was what it was all about is because I had one rooster, his name was Bo, he was Black Copper Marans, um, and he just changed everything. He sought out real kind connection, but not in, because roosters do, when they form a relationship with you, people can get 
a little bit too invested in it and the rooster can become a little bit confused, there does have to be a border or a boundary. Um, mm -hmm. You're not a fellow hen, you know, you're not trying to look for, um, because th they only speak on a language that is instinctual, right? We're yeah. humans that think on a different level, an emotional level, and they have plenty of emotions, but they're driven off of instinct. So when we, you know, get really up close with them, you can start to realize that they can start to um, exhibit negative behaviors, like almost dominating you behaviors. Mm -hmm. And and so there, I, I realized with Bo, especially because he was so open to connection, but he had these hard lines. You know, he didn't like when I would just like scoop him up in the middle of a group of hens. It really like, almost like it hit his ego or something. Yeah. Um, he, and so I just started to really, he was so such a teacher. And I started to note like, okay, you know, even within these really gentle roosters, there's these lines that you really need to honor. Um, and so I just took it as a teachable moment that I viewed most people wouldn't really have the time to sit and observe and then just share it. And so I started sharing Rethink the Rooster and it's, it's evolved into everything though, um, especially for the other misconception would be is that they have no value. Um, that's probably the one that hurts the most mm -hmm. because our nourishment, our, our food intake, um, that's, that's their value. If, if you don't want to keep them, I would just recommend you hatch them so that you can participate in um, a sustainable way of, um, you know, procreating animals. And then you can also gain from their nourishment when the time comes and yeah. just encourage people to raise these animals, get to know them, appreciate what they can give to you. Um, because so many don't live longer than hatch, you know, like let's be real. If we're raising billions a year, you know, billions of those aren't living very long. Um, and that's just, that's such a waste to me. And so I just always encourage people to hatch your own or buy them unsexed. Because um, even if you have to go to a hatchery, if that's all you've got availability to, um, just don't support buying sex chicks because you know that that's not how they hatched, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So those are the, the biggest misconceptions is no value, that they're all mean, um, and that you're always going to have chicks growing in your eggs. <laughs> yeah. um, that is the funniest thing to me. And, and most of that is coming, let's be honest, from the toxic vegan community. They yes. just assume that you're eating a baby chick and it's like here's the deal whether or not you are raising your chickens to hatch your eggs right yeah. you're gonna lay the eggs regardless um yeah. or if you're gonna eat them they're gonna yeah. lay them so if you have chickens in the literal wild they're going to lay eggs so what are they gonna do with them they're gonna hatch them exactly or they're gonna eat them themselves if they need it you know exactly so, what's worse really but so, yeah. um do you do you incubate your eggs and let your girls hatch them you kind of do like 50 yeah, yeah I love again just the forever student in me I love watching nature do her thing so I I do I have some really like and that's another maybe misconception even about hens is that all hens are good broody mamas no they are not um there's some really awful ones some ones that like are committed for because it takes 21 days to incubate a chicken 28 for a duck and all, like all the species are a little slightly different um 
And so chickens, it, you know, some, some mamas, they're like, I'll give you 15 days, but then I'm out. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and it's so frustrating. And then so you've got to incubate after that. But some are tried and true. So if those ones go broody, I always appease their instincts. Um, yeah, and I, and I love watching it. My kids love watching it. And I, I personally... Um, I will always tag those chicks and watch them grow because I find their personalities are always the most balanced um, because they've been raised completely with nurturing their natural instinct um, mm -hmm. by a mama. And so I, I always try to, to let that happen, but I also incubate hundreds of eggs. So <laughs> yeah. it's a balance. Yeah, absolutely. So like you had mentioned before, there are certain signs that a rooster is trying to like assert dominance. Yeah. Um, what what are those signs exactly? And how do you kind of like develop a healthy relationship with them and like making it known that you aren't going to put up with their shit, basically? Totally, totally. Yeah, I would say there's two sides to that. There's the firm side. I think everybody that raises animals understands you got to have that firm like mom voice right like the mom tone um where your your whole voice changes and it's really stern mm -hmm. um and so but then there's also this just not submit but just giving space and being respectful of boundaries and so when you watch your animals you start to understand like for for roosters there's this mating dance that they do they'll drop a wing down and they do it to their hens and and it doesn't always mean mating sometimes it means like at least this is what I um, kind of personify is like, get out of the way or you're irritating me or stop squabbling or, you know, something. It's, it's mm -hmm. not, it's sometimes just used as a correction. When I see my boys doing that, um, I always just, I've learned to give space. I've learned that there's some kind of irritation going in with, on with on in the flock. Um, and that now wouldn't be a time to, you know, pick him up for a cuddle kind of thing. Um, and I also realized that these aren't cuddly animals that that are like my dog, for example, that wants that love and affection um, all the time. There are certain times where I feel like that that boundary does get crossed with them and they do just become really confused. Um, so I'm always just trying to respect that they have an appearance that they're trying to put off in their within their dynamic within the flock. Um, and so like, say me picking a rooster up and removing it from a situation can really kind of mess with the, the environment that they're trying to naturally create. Um, so I'm always really aware of, of that and my interactions within the space. I always try to move like really slowly and um, kind of predictably because I, I don't really want to, I have literally like probably 20 roosters at my feet. I don't want to be viewed as a um, kind of like a trigger to start anything. So yeah, I just, I realize that their behavior is always trying to tell you something. So like when I'm putting out food, if I get pecked on the hand, those are usually precursors to trying to dominate me or getting overly excited when I'm doing something and I wouldn't appreciate that. Um, so I'll always kind of slide those roosters off to the side and kind of make them wait at like the outskirts and using corrective techniques that I see my other roosters, for example, doing to each other. And that is usually just kind of removing or pushing aside an animal. Um, and that's kind of what they do when they do those dances. Mm -hmm. So some other things would be like the, the typical like 
running up to you, chasing you, flogging you, spurring you, those would all be negative behaviors coming from a rooster. And I think that's what most people assume is going to happen to them if they raise a rooster. And that's just not not correct. No, Um, it's it's not. And a lot of it, like another thing I should touch on while we're still on that one is if your demeanor around any animal is very timid, unkind of aware, um, not present, you're, the odds of you having a negative experience are going to be much higher. Um, mm-hmm. Same with anxiousness. You know, I see a lot of um, people holding roosters in a way where if you are giving off any sense of timidness or like weakness and that rooster is like right up by your face, it makes me so nervous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I just really try to be a respectful of the job that I'm asking them to do, which is to always be alert and then just not putting any of your animals in a situation where they would do something that they wouldn't otherwise do. You know, like yeah. a rooster, my roosters don't have any desire to attack me. I feed them, provide them water, shelter. They, we have a we have a trust relationship. But if I'm going to come, you know, say my kids are going to come running into their space, screaming and yelling, the odds of my rooster turning around and, you know, giving a little bit of attention that direction is pretty high. Um, so I just, I mitigate those situations so they just don't happen. Uh, and a lot of people don't give their animals, especially chickens, enough respect to be able to do that because they think, oh, it's just a chicken, right? Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. and, and so a lot of boys get a bit of a bad rap because they're put in a bad situation, um, that they are just reacting the way that, you know, any other time you'd be very joyful if they did that to a hawk or something else. So Absolutely. yeah, we just always need to be mindful of our own presence whenever we walk into any situation, in my opinion, with an animal to have a level head, be very aware of your movements, be respectful. You wouldn't want someone running into your house screaming and yelling, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So so it's just to be mindful of that. Yeah. Yeah. I always make sure to take like three deep breaths before I walk into the coop, because if I'm, you know, just getting home from work or whatever, they can sense those things. And I, I think people forget that animals are very sensitive to energy. So absolutely. Um, yeah, I can yeah. totally see that. Yeah. Now, do you raise your birds off of temperament? Yes, that like I would never, I, I think many people now at this point would never breed a rooster that is aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like with hens, you can have some naughty hens, like they don't get a clean pass. Um, yeah. A lot of breeds can be really naughty to each other, um, especially the production girls, because they're just, they're so high strung in my opinion. Um, yeah. So like I have a few, um, they're, they're the black sex links and they're just bossy hens like they're just so naughty I thought we were the only ones oh my gosh yeah they'll like peck the top of someone's head just for fun they'll be the biggest feather like pecker out of all of them like they're just Mm -hmm. they're naughty things um but I mean I do think a lot of it is their body is demanding a lot more from them as far as nutrients intake and so like the feather pecking can be a sign of you know some of those things but Oftentimes I'm just noted they're really mean, (laughs) Um, but no, I temperament is, is truly like 
standard, because I do breed purebreds, so standard of perfection is very, very important. And, and there is varying degrees of which part of the standard you're going to focus on. Like for me, I would focus more on body type versus say like their comb. And that's something that's not as important. Um, and then egg color, of course, everybody loves a beautiful egg color. Yeah. But to me, I just want birds that are going to make someone's experience with these animals as best as it can be um, and that they can get the most balanced understanding of what this animal is because I'm not doing it to just you know produce 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 no I'm doing it in a very niche way that people can just enjoy these animals for the intended period that these wonderful creatures are supposed to live for you know like seven eight nine years yeah. I want balanced animals so aside from temperament, mine are their vigor. You you never breed an animal that is showing at any stage of life signs of not having that zest to live and and temperament. So even though those eggs are so pretty, if that rooster is is naughty, there's no way that they're they're being part of a breeding group. So yeah. um, but it it very rarely happens when you're respectful with um your roosters and you really give them a sense of purpose you know the right amount of hens you don't give them you know you don't just shove 16 roosters in with 10 hens that's going to be a recipe for disaster um yeah. like if you really set your your roosters up for success i find that it's just such an enjoyable experience um so yeah they they're great <laughs> temperament what's, is everything what's a healthy like hen to rooster ratio if somebody is just operating with like one chicken coop totally that's a great question yeah i always say like to to people that are just keeping for a small scale not really wanting for like reproduction or anything like that is 12 to 1 12 to 1 is like a really good number mm -hmm. um that's a good amount of hens to have like their you know dust bath groups and like they're re they really are a family they they operate as a family um and then to have that one rooster kind of looking over and, and often it's fun to have two, but for 12 hens, that's more than enough to keep safe. If you did want to hatch the eggs, you'd have a good amount of fertile eggs if you wanted. And, and one is, is easy to get to know and get to know what his triggers are, or what, what his um, strengths or weaknesses are. So, but if that one ends up being a, a jerk, don't settle. Like, that mm -hmm. is my number one advice. Please don't settle. Like, don't just keep a, a rooster around because, oh, you know, Vanessa told me that all roosters are valuable. No, no, no. The assholes still need to go. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not what I'm advocating for. No, no th those and ones need to go away because they give all of the good ones, the 95 percent, a bad rap. Um, yeah. So and we don't we don't need to perpetuate any of those, as you said, genetics or anything. So they really don't have any value other than the soup pot. Um, so yeah, it's th that, that's a hard line too. Like any aggressive roosters, just, just move on. You'll find there's so many people that are giving away roosters at like myself, mostly, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, please give them a home. Um, but yeah, it's, and that's another thing too. I always charge for my roosters. I don't enjoy when people do give them away for free, um, mm -hmm. because I think we're just perpetuating this idea that they have no value. Um, yeah, that's so very true. 
yeah, even like a, a breeding rooster obviously has a value. Um, and, and more people can see that, you know, if they're perfect confirmation and they have these beautiful genetics, but um, any rooster has value and that's the cost of their meat. And so that's what we charge. We charge based on how much they weigh and how much I would get for meat. And so usually it comes out to about $15, $20. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how I do it. Cause then at least I'm like, you know, there's value in this life. If he's going to end up being a bugger when he gets a little older, then there you go. He's for the soup pot. But yeah, at exactly. the end of the day, his life has value. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't give any animals away for free. I never like that. <laughs> at what point do you draw the line when a rooster's aggression is becoming a problem? Oh yeah. Um, the first time that they turn around and chase me, to be quite honest, like in, okay. in looking back, it's the mm -hmm. first time that like, I, I don't perform the call on that day. Um, there's, there's still a grace period afterwards, but I'm in hindsight, I always find it's the first time that they, they cross the line and crossing the line is turning around and chasing me. Um, mm -hmm. So, because it's so calculated when you, when you look back on that moment, you realize they had a choice they sat there, they thought about it, and they acted on it. And yeah. that's where you realize the trust is broken. So um, I had one of my most beautiful breast roosters. He, his name was Louie. Um, he was stunning. And I adored everything that he could have been for my breeding group for the breasts. Um, and he was the biggest jerk. Um, he had every desire to dominate me at every turn, every single moment of every single day. And I gave him far longer than I would have anybody else because it was such a conflict on my ethics. It was like, there's this beautiful animal that I want nothing more than to create so many more beautiful animals with, but his personality is in the dumpster. It is awful. And so, yeah, in hindsight, it's the, the second they turn around and they chase me. And I mean, it, I, I stand my guard. I, I, again, there's hundreds under my belt here at this point. So I just stand there and I can sit, you know, toe to toe with them and, and let them have their, you know, wear themselves out. But when they chase that, that's, that's when you've lost your, your relationship. Mm -hmm. And you have a highlight on Louie on your Instagram. I just I watched it the other day for the first time. And it, I was enamored by how calm you were because <laughs> most people would just go running. You know what I mean? And well, that doesn't that, serve anyone any good. It feeds the narrative because yeah. it, it, A, when people record it and share it, it feeds the narrative to other people that all of them are that way. Yeah. Um, but it also, your yard is watching you. You know, your yard is watching the way you behave. If you have another rooster in that yard, there's no respect being sent your way when you're running away, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and really at the end of the day, yes, they are going to peck you and I've been spurred. It's not pleasant, but you're not going to die from it. You're not going to be seriously injured. So the best thing you can do is stand your ground. Um, and that just literally means a calm mind, you know, take a few deep breaths and just stand there. And, and most of the time they will wear themselves out to the point where you could pick them up and hold them always put their head behind you, hold the feet. And then that would mean I'm walking to the tree and that bird is being put down. But to someone else, that might not be the case. But yeah, I've never seen a rooster come back. Louis was kind of the perfect example, because if you watch the whole highlight, he ended in a call. Um, yep. he, there was no coming back after that. And I gave him a lot of time. And speaking of of calling your roosters yeah. um, I think a lot of people 
aren't willing to work with the roosters and they definitely don't give them the benefit of the doubt Yeah, and they jump quick to culling, but that's a very intentional decision. It's not like one day you wake up and you're just going to no roosters, you know? Yeah. Um, but the way that you, you, you talk about it and document it is, yeah. is very, very inspiring because you really show your gratitude towards them. And that's something that, that we do as well. Do you, do you like to involve your children with it? Do they show interest in that? Cause my son, he asks to watch me do it. Yeah. And the first time, obviously it was a mess and he was <laughs> a wreck, but yeah. he understands why we have to do it. And I think it's a, a huge learning curve for children, especially when you're already raising these animals, they're going to witness a lot of things that they wouldn't, you know, if, if you were living in the suburbs and you just had a cat and a dog, like farm animals are, are much different. So is that something you your kids with? I do. Yeah. And I mean, for those who don't know me personally, I do homeschool my children as well. So we Mm -hmm. do have um, a different relationship with how we learn um, already. And so having the farm, it just really ties in learning very naturally. And so, yes, my children do watch. My my kids are 10, 7, and 4. My daughter does not enjoy watching, but she's behind the tree. She's there the whole time. She mm-hmm. sees the head at the end not being attached to the body. But I don't let my birds flap around. There's no, I mean, I remember the first time that I heard about that, because um, I grew up with friends on dairy farms Mm -hmm. and they would have, you know, the odd chicken and there would be a processing and that bird would just be let to run around with its head off. Like it was just the most traumatizing thing. And so I think if that's the way you did it, sure. I'm not advocating having your kids involved in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it's a peaceful passing of an animal in a respectful way where, I mean, there's no noise. My, I've been, I got a bit of flack for how I um, call my birds because some people feel uncomfortable that a lot of times in the videos, the rest of my flock will be watching um, Mm -hmm. right up against the clear, you know, wire fence. But if you know, their heads never move from grazing, they, they never feel any sense of stress because there is none. There's no transportation, there's no leaving the lands, there's no nothing. There's an ending of a life where the life started. And so it's as natural as it can be and it feels as natural as it can be to me. Um, I use two methods, Um, one more so now because when a rooster is full size, we're talking like, you know, full maturity, eight months plus, Mm -hmm. their necks are really thick. And I don't have enough strength to use my, my log, which is a log with two nails that kind of keep the head restrained. And then I use a machete, a very, very sharp machete. Mm -hmm. Um, And I reserve that at this point under my own strength for only weak and diseased or injured birds, um, hens specifically, and then chicks at any stage. Um, because my strength can handle that with one like cut, if you want to say it that way, but it's not really, it's more like a chop. And Mm -hmm. so, um, but I cannot under my own strength with a full size rooster. So I use a restraining cone that's mounted to a beautiful tree (laughs) and I, it kind of has this gentle swoop on it and the animals bleed out into the very soil that they came from we their their body is restrained by the cone i hold their legs there's no flapping 
there's no noises really. It's just silence returning yep. to the land. And I only remove them from the cone. So my children are watching this entire thing. They're watching the gratitude as they're put into the cone um, or on the log. And then they're seeing at the end of it, even the way I'm holding it, I'm never holding it with, you know, just by its feet and its its wings dangling down and open and its head out. Like I'm I'm cradling it. Like it's this precious gift to us because it is, it's either nourishment or it's going back to the soil. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't eat any animals that would be diseased or injured. Um, they are always buried. And so they're buried in developing garden spaces or forests under sapling trees. And that's the way we choose to honor them. And yep. then any ones that are healthy and well and vigorous, we, we use as nourishment. And we couldn't be more grateful for that gift and to show our children exactly how that food, specifically that chicken, ended up on our table. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we name our animals and... They will ask, you know, when we when we process Louis, because he it was such as you said, it's not you wake up and you're putting down a rooster. No, no, it was, you know, way I gave him way too much time, but it was probably a two month decision. Mm -hmm. um, even after I already knew for two months that he was going to a call was going to be the only way to resolve that. Um, but it's still very intentional. So when he was presented on the table as this beautiful cooked bird, because I don't know if you know, but the breast is like world-renowned poultry. They're incredible. Um, yeah. They have marbling within them, and it's just, it's really, really amazing. They're an amazing bird. And so he was a beautiful, we roasted him, and it was just, it was beautifully prepared. And my kids all asked, is this Louie? And I said, yep, this is Louie, and, and let his body nourish you now and give back. And we had three meals out of him. And so it's just, how can the kids not? get on board with that right like we're eating either eating nameless chicken that we have no connection to or we're eating an animal that we know every stage of his life mm -hmm. um, and so that's built into every other animal that we eat now too because your ethics change right you when you get that close to these animals um the way i do specifically it spills into usually everything else <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, when you're raising an animal that you can consume for me, and this is a, a totally different topic that I'm going to go deep into in yeah. another episode, the whole nameless meat thing. Yeah. Um, it just that connection between you and your food is so important. And it's so lost in society right now. Yeah, people either don't understand or they don't want to understand. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. And those are two big differences, like not wanting to understand just based on it hurts you or you're you don't feel like you need to. That's a really hard one to change someone's mind because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people just don't want to know. And and that that that's a hard one. Um, but I do feel like kind of what we talked about at the very beginning, these last two years have been I've seen a big shift in the way people are thinking. Um, about things. So even for us, like we moved away from kind of patented, what you would consider like a commercial broiler. So not a Cornish or a Cornish cross, but the Freedom Ranger, which is a great alternative. I'm not bashing them at all. Um, it's just, I only have an acre for pastured chicken. And if you're going to raise, you know, we did 460 in two years, Freedom Rangers. They decimated my ryegrass pasture because um, all they want to do is eat. All yeah. they want to do is just fill their bodies, even if they're pastured. Whereas a sustainable bird that's dual purpose, I love heritage birds. So I pivoted and went in a different direction. And I noted that 
my clientele that was buying, you know, the the more commercial broiler chicken from me because we do sell meat, they were totally okay with switching to a dual purpose bird. And I don't think if we hadn't had those two years to educate people on, you know, supply chains and sustainability and really just really looking at ourselves and changing some some really key things to how we source our food that I wouldn't have had success in this switch to a sustainable meat bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I've been so supported and so blown away by like I, I've gotten to the point where I'm not even explaining anymore that this is a heritage bird. It's going to be smaller. It's going to taste different. It's going to require tender, loving care to cook and prepare for your family. Um, but it's sustainable. This is what a chicken tastes like. And here you mm-hmm. go. Um, I, I even didn't, I don't even have to do that marketing ploy anymore, which is like my heart just feels such gratitude. So um, yeah, I, I think we are going in a good direction, but I think the more people that continue to speak out on knowing the animal, the produce, all of it, it all matters how it got onto your table. You know, the chocolate you eat, the candies that you eat, like what's being exploited to put that on the table, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was a big, big intentional thought behind showing my kids how how chicken that we raise ends up on our table. Yeah. It, a lot of it is ethical, but at the same time, it's like once you taste it, there's no going back either because store-bought meat, just like, you know, if you grow a tomato in your garden, it's going to taste so much better than oh. a store-bought tomato. It's the same thing with meat. Yeah. Carrots are the gateway. <laughs> when yeah, someone absolutely. tastes a garden-grown <laughs> carrot, they're like, oh my goodness, what is this joy? <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's the same with chicken. Once you've had a pasture-raised dual-purpose bird, you realize, you know, you've just kind of been robbed of what the experience of chicken really is. And, and, and even down to their bones, you know, their cartilage, what they offer in like a broth or a stock, mm-hmm. it's just mind-blowing, you know, when you, you really utilize everything. Um, and, and now that we do, we, have, we welcomed a um, livestock guardian dog um, a few months back. And so now like organs are being utilized, all of the bones that like we use feet for in our broths and, and -hmm. everything else. But, you know, even just giving that nourishment to her, it's, it's so wonderful because you know, you're using absolutely everything like gizzards and nothing really at this point gets tossed away. Just a few little organs do, but, Mm -hmm. um, like necks and it's just, it's really neat. And then it's neat to educate people on how to utilize the entire animal too. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been a great connecting piece for my entire family, not just me. And it's such a good feeling when nothing goes to waste either. Now I'd like to kind of transition a little bit into like first aid, which kind of goes hand in hand with raising roosters just because you're more likely to deal with, you know, and, um, injuries and things like that. So it is very important to be prepared um, for those things. And I, that's one thing I, I didn't realize when, when we got our first rooster or mm. just chickens in general is like, you should have a first aid kit yeah. ready before you have the chickens. Yep. So what are some things that you'd recommend? Um, and if the list is long, you can kind of summarize it. That's fine. But um, just kind of like must have wound oh, care totally. products. Totally. Um, a lot of people deal with bumblefoot. So bumblefoot, you're always going to want to have um, 
you know, bandages, self-adhesive bandages are huge because you want to wrap up that injury and prevent any kind of infection. Because I mean, let's be real. These are livestock animals. They're stepping in their waist all the time. If that's their feet, you just got to keep it clean. Um, I'm a huge proponent of using natural methods to heal things. So I love raw local honey. Um, you always want to source it raw and local to your area. Um, it'll give you the best benefits when you do it that way. So, um, but those, those sprays, I believe it's called like veteracin spray, like the gel. Um, yeah. That's really, really great for especially rooster and comb and waddle injuries because um, it sticks onto them. So that's great. But honey does the same thing. You just got to be careful to not reintroduce them with honey because then everybody will eat them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so uh, yeah. Um, but in that, in that first aid kit, a lot of things that people don't think like those are just two basics. Um, and you would want to add like, you know, tweezers and um, scissors and cotton swabs and um, some kind of numbing agent. Those like the list you're, as you said, is it is long, but a big one that people overlook is an isolation space. You want to have your birds isolated when you are treating an injury. Um, so you want to have a safe, out of the way, like a lot of people use dog kennels, which are great. But like some people are like, where am I going to put this bird? I can't isolate it. And I'm like, well, that's your first problem. You need yeah. to find somewhere to put this bird for, you know, a week or two. So we always kind of joke because we we use them, those stock tanks, those metal stock tanks to raise oh, chicks yeah. in. Um, so there's literally a rooster in my garage right now in a stock tank because that's isolation. Um, mm -hmm. And then we also, because I raised so many, and as you said, when you raise more and you raise a lot of roosters, there's a lot of injuries. Um, we have an indoor and an outdoor isolation space. So um, that way they're still able to interact with their flock, but be safe. And um, so, yeah, you're, you're going to want things like towels, though, that you use just for them. And honestly, at this point, I'm like, you need a blow dryer for them. You need this, you need that. <laughs> um, when you have roosters, though, you're going to want things like, because they, they're spurs. Uh, I kind of touched on this earlier, but it's a bone that grows out the side of their leg. Um, and some people will remove them completely. I don't, I don't condone it. I, I don't pass judgment, but I don't condone it. Because um, I, I know you can just clip them and, and shave them down, which is what we do. And I do value them having that little bit of protection because we free range. We have perimeter fences, but that, that doesn't stop aerial predators from coming mm -hmm. in or ones that can climb a fence. So we do want our roosters to be protected because they're not penned all the time. So you, yeah, I would say things like a Dremel tool then is really important. And, and even like dog nail clippers. Yeah, it, it, I, I have a, like a highlight saved for like a kind of a full view on what you should have in your kit. So it, it is a valuable thing, like even a knife, you're going to want like interchangeable, like those, those really sharp medical knives mm -hmm. um, and replaceable blades. Like you really want to have a stocked, you're caring for an animal. It would be no different than when you're caring for a dog or a cat, you're going to come with supplies that are needed to care for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it, it is a long list, but there are a few basics and mine is pretty much bandages, honey and cotton swabs. Yeah. <laughs> that would say I, I can pretty much and, and a knife. You can pretty much get most things done with that. I feel like a lot more resilient than people give them credit for too. Very much. We, we had uh, an issue with a fox this summer. We ended up losing five hens because oh. it was so dry and she was so desperate to feed her babies. She came in the yard within 10 feet of my mother-in-law and grabbed one of the chickens and they oh. usually don't come out during the day. Yep. 
but she ended up taking a chunk out of one of my lady's sides. And, you know, I posted about it and I mean, it, it, there was barely like she took muscle like yep. the, it was almost down to like her you could almost see her rib cage yeah and so everyone's like you need to put her down you need to put her down but oh. she was walking around just fine she was yep. laying eggs so you know I just put her in isolation um I used uh antiseptic like triple antibiotic and raw honey yep. and it ended up scabbing over and she was totally fine at the end of the day, the fox still came back and grabbed her, oh, No, which was super devastating. Yeah. But that's just the reality of when you free range as well. It is. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- they are a lot more resilient than people give them credit for. They can, they can heal if you give them the opportunity to do that. But how do you personally decipher when a wound is too bad or if it's worth tending to? Oh, that's a hard one. I will always put in the work. Um, the only time that I won't is a broken limb. Um, broken limbs, and this is w- what you touched on, chickens are remarkable healers. Um, but sadly, they're so remarkable that if you don't set a broken limb within 30 minutes, it's already passed. It won't set properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had injuries where a bird, roosters will be fighting and they'll pull a leg and it'll dislocate or uh, they'll be mating multiple matings on a hen. These are all like real things that happen within hundreds of birds, right? Mating a hen and they crush her abdomen area or break a leg and broilers, they, that kind of stuff is more, you know, it happens more often. Um, They can have like heart attacks and other things. So if I see any kind of stress that I know, like even pecking injuries, sometimes they a rooster can peck another rooster in just the right spot on the top of their head that it, it sets off a chain of seizures, essentially. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's going to stop. That bird is not going to be right afterwards. So that would be an instant call. I would step in in that moment as it's happening and and end that. Um, broken limbs is a hard line for me. I don't, a broken wing is different. Um, I'm talking about legs and stuff. Pretty much any open wound I will work on. If it requires a stitch or two even, I, I'm not, I'll do it. I can keep it clean. I know what my capabilities are and I've seen them heal, as you said. I've seen really gruesome injuries mm-hmm. on just flesh and muscle and tissue and even a little bit of tendon all heal and, and without any, you know, negative effect, but, um, yeah, head injuries, those are instant calls too. And I have a, the rooster I mentioned that's in my garage, he has a prolapsed vent, which is usually more common in hens because they're Mm -hmm. pushing an egg out every single day. Um, but even with every bowel movement, every mating, a rooster is kind of prolapsing out their, their insides. And so with a prolapse in a rooster, the odds of him recovering was really small, Um, but it's Theo. And if anybody knows who Theo is to me, I value him greatly. So Mm -hmm. I was going to do whatever it took. And he's on day five of his prolapse being in, but I haven't introduced him to hens. So I'm not even still sure how this will unfold, but it, it goes to show you that it's always worth it, even if it could end up in a cull. Um, 
you know, because a prolapse, you, you can't let a bird walk around with a prolapse. It's literally their insides outside. Yeah. They'll get pecked. You know, they are very much carnivores. Um, people that say chickens are anything but, I, I giggle. Um, so they, <laughs> they will, they will, that will be a, a, a gruesome death, in fact, if he was to be let out into the yard like that. So yeah. there's not much that will, I won't try to fix as far as a flesh wound. But as I said, I do have some hard lines. So mm-hmm. Something people that, especially this time of year, deal with a lot is um, frostbite. And I know that's something that you've talked about pretty often on your page. And unfortunately, sometimes it's inevitable, um, depending on how extreme your conditions are. Here in Minnesota, it's been super, like the the temperature has gone from like 30 and then negative 30. That's like a huge range and it's been super windy. And it's like, you can, you can make sure that you have a draft free environment as possible, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you still deal with it. So what's your typical protocol for frostbite? Yeah. And that's, that's hard too, because we don't have as extreme negative temperatures, but we have a lot of, I live on the west coast of BC in Canada. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of moisture in our air. We live next to a beautiful Pacific Ocean. We have so many lakes and waterways. We're on a mountain. It's very moist. Um, and so it's it's very hard to keep your birds, um, yeah, frostbite free. So unless you wanted to coop them up um, pretty much for the entire winter season, that's the only way that I would say it's inevitable that you wouldn't get it mm-hmm. um, or sorry that, that you wouldn't get it, but it, otherwise it's inevitable that you will. And so it's, it's more or less, as you said, making sure you do your best to have it draft free and only ventilated, which is very important. But then, yeah, maybe on those really extreme days you pen them, but at the end of the day, yes, it's very sad. Yes, it can change how they deal with heat because it is kind of their way of fanning themselves to stay cool, just like a dog pants. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So they are very valuable, their wattles and their comb. But a lot of it is just cosmetics too. A large comb and large wattles means that the ladies will like them more. That is like a (laughs) a genetic thing. Yeah, they'll Mm -hmm. go for the ones with the really red combs, the really big wattles. Um, So really it's mostly cosmetic if you do have severe frostbite which we dealt with this year um because it was just so much moisture in the air and it was so cold um and we had those extreme swings too but then also long deep freezes what am what am what are we going to do you know i can't i don't i didn't subscribe to that lifestyle of of protection within a barn i subscribe to free range you be a chicken Um, like a chicken would and so if the chicken's gonna go outside he's gonna go outside Mm -hmm. Um, and I I try to nurture as many you know like shelter spaces as I can so each coop has like a covered dry protected like kind of enclosed area but at the end of the day it it just kind of is what it is there's not really anything like I hear people saying putting on um, petroleum jelly which there's a world of internet conversations about whether it's good or bad. And I don't really subscribe to it being good or bad. Um, And so I just treat with honey afterwards. 
um, until it falls off because it, it literally will just go black and the tissue will fall off and it doesn't grow back. So it is a permanent change to your rooster. But yeah, just nurture a, a draft-free ventilated space, but you can't really pen your animals for two months at a time. It's just not possible. So it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. And it's just we, balanced. We've gone weeks um, because they just, I mean, I'll open the door, they won't come out. Yeah. It's still nice for them to get some fresh air. Yeah. But that's when we start to deal with lice and things like that because they're not dust bathing like they should be. And yeah. obviously they're not getting sunlight. So they're not laying eggs, but you know, sometimes they do need to take a break in the winter as well, but it's, yeah. it's just hard. It's hard for them just like it is for us in the winter time. Absolutely. And I mean, you touched on something important. A lot of bugs like to live on our chickens in the winter. Uh, it's a free ride, right? They like to live in the coops. Mites love crevices and cracks and they come out at night and it's just an awful thing. Um, and then lice as well. They, they live on the host. So they're on your chicken all the time. They don't leave. Um, and, and they'll wear your animals down, especially then when they're cooped up, there's lots of close contact. So these bugs spread pretty quickly. Um, and then you've got bickering and, you know, cause they're in tight quarters and it's just winter's hard. And I think people need to just kind of take that into consideration too, when you're building your spaces that your animals might be cooped in for a few weeks every year or maybe months every year. So is your space big enough for them? You know, do you have a covered run that you could have like a year round dusting space? And mm -hmm. do you like things that will kind of, they won't treat the, the bug infestation, but they will definitely help them manage it naturally. Um, Cause that's another thing you gotta remember. These are livestock animals, like goats have lice, like everybody's treated for all of these things. It's totally normal. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not very pleasant for your animals to have these bugs on them. So nurturing spaces that can keep them dusting year round is really, really valuable. A lot of people buy like these big like horse kind of feeding buckets and just fill them with sand. Um, and I would suggest like mixing in some wood ash and some biochar and, and it becomes like a really good environment for them to keep themselves clean. They'll have like little <laughs> parties and stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can you can easily put that in your coop year round to make sure that the bugs aren't, you know, making a suitable housing for themselves on your animals. Absolutely. It's funny because when people ask me if raising chickens are easy, my first answer is always yes. But then I always double think it and I'm like, well, there can be a lot to it because there is. But most of it is learned through experience. Yes. Yeah. I'd never want to turn someone off on having them because they are relatively easy. They are relatively approachable and easy to house, you know, you don't need, it's not a huge animal either, which is very intimidating to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So that's why they gravitate to these smaller, you know, and cute, they lay eggs, they, they have a great, it's a great relationship, right? Um, so I always, I, I'm the same as you, like I cringe when I say, oh yeah, they're, you, you'll do great. Uh, they're easy and they're really not, but um, I also make it much more complex given that there's hundreds versus 12. Yeah. Like, my original 23, I would have said it is a lot easier um, because when you have hundreds, which is really great for educational purposes, because I'm always learning. There's always something that's going to greet me in the morning that I'm not going to be prepared for. Mm -hmm. So um, because there's so many and and yeah, so it's it's just all in how many you have, too. So I don't ever want to turn anybody off from keeping them. Yeah, they are the gateway. They animal. very much are. <laughs> 
Do you have any other animals besides? I think you. I saw you have a couple. We have ducks, ducks and geese. Yeah, okay. we. I love. Um, I love my ducks. We have a pond. We were given the option when we built our house. It was either a rock pit under the ground or a pond. And I'm like, is that even a question? Like, you put <laughs> animals in a pond. Like, yeah. you can't put anything in a rock pit. Um, and so I just wanted to bring life to that pond um, because we built it really well and it's all filtered and um, it has inputs and outputs and it's it's really well built. And I just wanted life to live on that pond. And the ducks bring so much joy. Um, I don't farm them the way that I farm with my chickens. I only keep endangered species of um, ducks and geese so that I can just do my part. Um, in preserving them so they don't they're not removed within my lifetime I, that kind of stuff breaks my heart so we keep anconas as far as ducks and then we let them hatch pretty much whatever whatever someone wants to sit on and then we offer forth um, hatching eggs from them and then we have two pilgrim geese um, a male and a female so we definitely plan to let them procreate as well <laughs> yeah they're they're lovely we had a couple ducks and we did keep them in with the chickens. And I, I can't say I will ever do that again. Oh, yes. I do not recommend. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean, we lost a couple, um, to predators, but we had two that paired up and they were call ducks, which are very similar to Mallard and they flew away. They just flew away. Um, so I can't say at least that, at the property we're at now, we would ever do that again. Yeah. Because um, ducks and chickens are very, very different animals. Totally. And to be truthful, they are the messiest babies. They're the cutest. Yes. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. But you will very, very quickly realize you've either made a terrible mistake because you'll <laughs> never get rid of that smell. That smell will live in your nostrils forever. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of waste and the amount of water. Oh, my gosh. So if we did not have a pond... We would be having a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I actually say that to people that are asking me about the ducks and geese. Um, because it, I do not recommend. If you have to fill a kiddie pool every single day, no, do not do not get ducks. It's Mm-mm. so much work. Um, and that water will be dirty within 10 minutes. Like you will, it's a losing battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is some of the stinkiest waste. It's the, the garden is thriving. I yes. swear, just due to <laughs> them alone um, yeah. because they graze so much. So their waste is actually very different than chickens. It doesn't need to break down for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually pretty much use it right away. So yeah, and even like the pond water, even though it is well taken care of, the, the plants love pond water. Um, so it they, they really... In the environment we keep them, that really nurtures keeping them naturally with having the pond and everything. It's they're a blessing. But otherwise, eh, I'd be weary. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any new plans for your homestead this year that you're working towards? Oh, good question. Um, mostly gardens. To be yeah. truthful, I feel like I really, really worked hard in the last few years to grow the flocks to the size that I wanted for, even just like going and making my time valuable, leaving the farm, going to the courier and sending off hatching eggs. I was finding unless I'm going there with like multiple packages, it's not, it's not good business, right? Like, so I wanted to grow my flock last year to the point where I'd be, you know, two days a week, I'm going to the courier and I'm going with like six packages or eight packages each time because our flock is big enough to support that. Um, So this year, now that that's in place, it's, growing food. Um, I'm really passionate about growing food this year. So 
pretty much last year was growing the flock and growing compost piles <laughs> with all of their waste and really learning how to make my own soil with the waste that we were generating here. And now, yeah, I just, I really am excited to grow. I've been, I've been gardening for better part of 10 years, but never on a scale that I truly felt like every week it's going to drastically decrease my budget of, of where I'm shopping until this year. And, and I, I was one of those people in the last two years and I'm like, Ooh, I'm a little nervous where, you know, certain things are coming from. Cause I shop really intentionally as it is. I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of locally grown produce. I eat a seasonal diet. I cheat hundred percent, but like I, I really try to align with seasonal eating. I haven't had a salad in a really long time. Um, it's like all just ferments and cabbage yeah. and, you know, all the good stuff that the season provides. But I'm really intentional. So I, I'm just excited to just grow so much, like to finally feel like I'm confident enough with, you know, the bare bone basics of kale, lettuce, carrots, and those things to, to growing some more exotic things. And we got a greenhouse last year. So, you know, hello, tomatoes and peppers and all yeah. the things that don't really thrive on my, in my area outside because our climate is cold and mild. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to actually just grow food this year and be really present with what's coming out of the soil, what I'm putting into the soil, growing, growing. We don't plan to welcome any more animals other than, you know, just growing the breeding groups, but I stick to chickens. I, and my ducks and geese are just heart, heart animals um, yeah. that make me happy. But um, no, we, we don't have any huge plans in that regard for more animals, but I'm really excited to to grow and grow for other people because we have a lot of land to grow on, which I'm very blessed to have. So we really want to spread that wealth around. Yeah, that's something that we're focusing on this year too, is the garden. I, I just feel like my soul is calling me to like yes. put my main focus towards expanding the garden and just growing things and we're going to be adding orchard trees and all that. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's an important thing to recognize when you're looking, especially on Instagram, because everyone looks like they know what the hell they're doing and they have it all together, but that's just not the case, you know? No. So it's good to have a focus because it's impossible to do everything all at once. Like, it's just not realistic. Absolutely. So, and especially, yeah, when you really, really want to learn all all the dimensions of what you're currently learning about, you need to give it that time. Like, I, I can't, as you said, I can't do multiple things well. I can do them, but not well. And mm -hmm. so last year, it was really focusing on growing my business. And then this year, it's focusing on growing food because... I mean, I feel the same as you. My soul is calling me there to get my, like, I, I find so much joy in the calluses and dirt in my hands. Like, it means I'm working hard to grow something. And mm -hmm. so I, I just, in whatever form that is, you know, I'm working with my hands. And, and that gives me a lot of purpose and drive. Mental health is always at the forefront. So I always try to do things that are good for my mental health. Um, and getting outside, I mean... And, and pulling weeds and being in the garden and watching this, you know, fungal or microbial life grow. It just, it really humbles you and, and gives you a bigger perspective. I don't know. I remember finding like a, an, a I do vermicompost and, and bokashi compost and all these other methods of, of breaking down even my waste and utilizing it. And so yeah. I, I remember getting a cabbage and there was one of the red wigglers from the vermicompost bin in my cabbage. And I'm like, 
usually that would gross someone out but I'm just like that is absolutely incredible like yeah. <laughs> look at nature at work like I don't I don't wash pretty much anything I you know eat a little dirt it's good for you I don't oh wash my, my eggs yeah. I don't do any of that stuff so finding a red wiggler in my cabbage I was pretty stoked on myself <laughs> mm-hmm. I I make my son put his hands in his mouth in the summertime when he has I love it yep. yeah <laughs> yeah it is it is I mean our immune systems are incredible and we've We've experienced both extremes on that. We've experienced, you know, an, an immune suppressed immune system and a healthy one. And I, I truly believe that getting outside, getting your hands dirty and growing something, whether it's on your patio, whether it's in the ground, I don't care where it is, just grow something and watch it grow. It will blow your mind. I, I always encourage that. And I'm really excited to just, I mean, I spent so much money on seeds. Oh my goodness. Um, so I yeah. really, I'm hopeful, you know, that, that, that really transpires into physical value for me. I feel like I could talk to you forever, honestly. We probably <laughs> could. <laughs> I'm, I might have to have you on again and we can talk about a different topic. I'd love but that. I'd love that. You are just such a wealth of knowledge and I'm just very humbled that you came on here and had a chat today. I'm glad you asked, truly. And I'm glad you've started this space because I feel like the world needs so much more of these really long-winded, free-flowing conversations where you just get to see the humanity in each other and just the direction that we're all really just trying to find purpose within our lives. And everybody finds that purpose in such different ways. And it's so inspiring. Well, can you tell everyone where where they can find you and connect with you and check out what else you're up to? Absolutely. We are Maybloom's Acreage on Instagram. That's really the best way to get in touch with us. We have our website, maybloomsacreage.com. Um, you can chat with us there. But no, I'm always available. I always want to be helpful and inspiring. So don't ever feel intimidated about reaching out. Um, That's kind of the only negative with growing um, that account is that people feel like they're taking up your time. And it's like, no, no, no. If I'm reaching out, I'm here to chat. I'm here here to be here with you in this moment. So um, just stay connected, stay talking, stay stay involved in learning um, and be a forever student. That's, that's my biggest advice to anyone and everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode and a huge thank you to Vanessa for being a part of this series. If you would like to connect with Vanessa, all of her info will be in the show notes. And if you are a Canadian resident and would like a chance to raise some of her chicken's offspring, she does sell hatching eggs. So make sure to check out her website. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you guys next week. This is Dandelions Aren't Weeds.